Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Ben. It's a little exhausting worshiping and then coming preaching. I think I'm almost done. But I'm not. You know, I can't help but think when I told the first service when you come and watch a baptism service like that, I can't help but feeling like maybe the people that watched Jesus raise Lazarus out of a tomb and said, wow, weren't they lucky they got to see a miracle. We just saw four right here. People who were dead in their trespasses and sins. They were made alive through Jesus Christ. And they live differently and forever with him because of that resurrection. You've watched people who've been resurrected from the dead. So don't say you've never seen a miracle. And if you know Christ, you're a walking miracle. Well, let's go to our passage, I guess. Uh, this morning, and I have to say, good morning to you. I cannot help but do that. It's always a pleasure to see friends and family in the room, and uh, those who are in Christ are my family. Well, we're going to continue with our completion of chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, and Paul here will be uh, wrapping up his responses to some questions that the people in the church of Corinth asked, and specifically, he was trying to say, should people get married at all? Uh, I guess they were getting this sense that, well, if all this sexual immorality is bad, then let's swing the pendulum all the way over here and everybody just be celibate in a closet and nobody gets married. Well, that's Paul saying, no, that's not right either. And he's going to say there's no spiritual superiority to singleness, no spiritual superiority to being married but he wants to say the most important thing here is what he said in verse 19 last week when Pastor Larry talked about it is not our condition when God found us but that we just follow God's commands and do what it says in the Bible. And Paul tells us uh, we're supposed to remain in the place that God placed us. So if you were a carpenter, stay a carpenter. You know, if you were a plumber, stay a plumber. I don't know if they had plumbers back in that time. Uh, but maybe you're a used chariot salesman. Um, but whatever you were, stay there. And, and same thing applies to marriage and singleness. If you were married, stay married. If you're single, stay single. That's not the, the critical thing. The critical thing is following God. Now, if you were a thief, he says, that's got to stop. Follow the word of God but don't change your status. But you know, today in our culture, I think singleness is treated a little bit like a disease. Uh, people who are single are thought odd, weird. There's something wrong with them. Obviously, if they can't get married, they're defective. And Paul's gonna say, no, 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 no. In fact, many church groups have had singles groups that really kind of act as a front for Christian dating so they can escape this single thing that they're going through. That's not, that's not good. That's not right. God says singleness is actually a gift. Now, some people are single by choice, and they love it, and they're free to do what God has asked them to do. Some people are by themselves because of sin, and they sleep in their own bed that they made for themselves alone and some people are single and wish they weren't and so Paul's words today for us are going to be for us because there's also some that are married that wish they were single I don't have to look at your wife now or <laughs> straight ahead so open your Bible with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and we're going to read Wow. Is it really that time? Did I get the, this thing 10 minutes late? Whoa. 
Verse 25. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as they had none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are not happy, uh, those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world and its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way, in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks he's acting improperly toward the virgin he is engaged to, and she is getting along in years, and he feels he ought to marry, he should do so, as he wants. He's not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does even better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but... He must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity that you give. You don't dance around issues. You don't beat around the bush. You say things as they truly are. And you say things for our good. Help us to see them as for our good. And as Paul says, not to restrict. Your, your goal here is not to limit our fun, but to give us lives that are undividedly devoted to you and to Jesus, your son. Help us, Father, to see this and apply this, that we might not only know for ourselves what we must do and should do, but that we can be wise counselors for those around us because our culture is desperately messed up on most of these issues. Help us to be wise in how we dispense your wisdom to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I think of all the choices that ever any of us ever make in life, there can be no doubt that right there near the top is this matter of do we marry if we marry at all, and then the second question is, who do we marry? And if we should decide that we marry, uh, we know, all know that getting married can produce some of the most amazing joys and blessings of anything in life, if we get it right. But we also know, if we get it wrong, if things don't go well, it can cause some of the deepest heartbreaks and sorrows of life. I don't know if some of you have ever been there thinking as you went in, as Pastor Phil used to say, you got stars in your eyes as you get married and you realize it's just sand. <laughs> life didn't turn out like you want and there is a lot of heartbreak in marriages that are not good. There's a lot of heartbreak. So this is a very practical topic for us. And I think what we really need to see, the heart 
of Paul and what he's trying to tell us here. And rather than just going through this from top to bottom, I think there's a better way to go through this. And let's take a different journey. What I want us to do on this journey is first consider the things that Paul was considering and what he was telling us and look at the context, the lens he was looking through as he gave these instructions. The second thing we're going to look at was what is his heart? What was the concern, his heart's desire as he said these things? What does he hope will happen? And third, let's look at the actual content. What were his actual instructions and make sure we understand those? And as they all relate to this matter of marriage and singleness, that's why I've titled this message, Should I or Shouldn't I? This would apply whether you're single and you're con contemplating marriage, or maybe you're married and you're still contemplating divorce. Should I or shouldn't I? So let's just go to the context. The context here is not what we normally think of context. I think when we think of context, we think of the historical setting, the religious concerns of the day, the sexual immorality that was present. That's not the context I want to talk about. What I want to talk about is the very context that Paul puts in this passage himself of why he wrote this. And I think there's three verses we can look at. And they're verses 26, 29, and 31. So the first principle let's take a look at is in verse 26. And he says this, because of the present crisis. Now crisis here is the word ananke, and it really means distress, calamity, violent difficulty, pressure. And he says there was something going on here, and it's the same word Jesus used when he says there's going to be great distress at the end of the age. In fact, he said it was megale ananke. It was a mega distress. So what's happening here is Paul's saying there's a distress going on in the church, and it was presently facing them or coming very soon. What's he mean? Well, he didn't tell us. And you might get sad about that, but don't be, because obviously if it was important to them, the people he wrote to understood what it was. He felt no need to tell them what the present crisis they were going through. But it also was not important for us. He'd, if it was important for us, what, have God, what would have God done? He would have had the Holy Spirit give the present context of that crisis to us. But it wasn't necessary. Why? Because I don't think that's the concern of this passage. Are we in a crisis today of our own kind? Are we sailing along as a society, free and easy? We're in a crisis. We've always been in a crisis. And as believers... You have to understand, as a soldier of Jesus Christ, you're in a war zone. You are not in friendly territory. Why would you expect your government to agree with everything in here? We're in a foreign land. Heaven is our home. Earth is not our home. We're in foreign territory. We're in crisis. So we have to say, well, in our own way, we're in a crisis. And that was Paul's main concern. He says, look, if you're in a crisis, you're not going to make some of the same decisions as you would otherwise. If you're in a crisis, do you go on a picnic? No. And he's saying it's the same thing here. And the crisis very well may have been the coming persecution from Rome. You got to realize Rome was not a friend to Christians. In fact, Jerusalem would soon be destroyed after the writing of this letter. And also after the writing of this letter, in very few years, Nero, a wonderful man. No, he was an evil, wicked man, hated Christians throughout his empire, and there was gross persecutions. He, he loved to do things like wrap Christians up like a, a piece of candy in a wrapper, but the wrapper was clothes, were sh skins of an animal. So when he threw them to the lions, he didn't want the lions to be afraid of the man. He wanted them to smell the animal. So he would rip them apart. How about this one? If you would not deny Christ as your Lord and say Caesar is Lord, then he would dip you and your clothes in wax, tie you to a tree, light you on fire, and use you as a tiki torch for his garden party. This is a crisis. And our crisis today may look different than Nero's crisis, but it's a crisis all the same. Do you, is this the time to go on a picnic? And Paul's saying, is this the time to get married? There's a crisis going on. We don't need to know the exact details. But God says when there's a crisis going on, you may want to use that lens to make this decision. 
The second thing on his context was brothers, in verse 29, brothers, the time is short. And he's not just saying, hey, life's short, live fast, die quick. That's not what he's saying. And he's not saying Jesus might come soon, which he could. In fact, I love the sign. Philip used to say all the time, there was a sign on a professor's desk that said, perhaps today. You know, before we get out of here, Jesus could be back. There's nothing preventing him from coming. Nothing. It's in his timing. We should be ready. But time is short. No, I think it's more like this. The same word time is short is kurios. And kurios in Ephesians 5.16 says this. It's make the most of every opportunity. Grab while you can. Seize it. Seize the opportunities that God gives us. Do we do that? That's the thing, sense of time is short. You only have one chance to grab at this opportunity. And he says, when you have this perspective, do you, is this the time to get married? Well, the third principle is this in 31. For the world in its present form is passing away. The Greek word form is schema, the scheme of things, the mode of existence, the form or fashion of this world. It's all going away. You know, you don't get to keep that whatever it was you really liked going forward. There's no U-Haul behind the hearse. You just don't get to keep it, right? This world is passing away. Everything that you thought you put all your hope and happiness in is passing away. It says what? Fix your attention on things in heaven. Well, if we don't, the likelihood is we'll fix our attention on things that are passing away and he's saying don't do that and in fact that's the view of eternity when you start putting the view of eternity on your decision making God says you're making wiser decisions and this is what he wants here he says look this world's passing away are you making your decisions based on that including this very important decision of marriage or singleness this is the lens that Paul was using let me move quickly to his, con his concern his concern was this. If you invited Paul to your kitchen table and said, Paul, what were you really thinking when you wrote this passage? And he would probably say, didn't you read it? I said right there what it was. And you're probably scratching your heads now saying, where, where was that? Where was that? And he would say, look at verse 35. And he says this, my heart is for your protection and your devotion to Christ. This is what he's looking for in all of this passage. So when you look at the context of getting married or not getting married, it doesn't stand out in space. It's based on a present crisis. Do you, get, do you go to a picnic during a crisis? It has time is short. You only have one chance at this life. And this world is passing away. Anything you fix your hopes on that are here are going to be gone. And he says, now, in light of that, I'm going to try to protect you. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you. Now, the restrict you there really was like a slipknot, like a noose. And he says, I'm not trying to put a noose on you. I'm not trying to put a leash on you. I'm not trying to give you more regulations. I'm trying to protect you. And people must have thought that he was trying to put a noose on them because he wouldn't have said this. They probably reacted this way, saying, what do you mean I can't get married? That sounds too restrictive. No, I'm trying to protect you. Have you ever had your kids, when you tried to tell them not to do something, thought they were just trying to rain on their parade rather than not protect them? You shouldn't have that seventh piece of cotton candy with the sixth hot dog. Why not? I'll tell you when you're throwing up. Okay? Sometimes they just think we're raining on the parade rather trying to help them. And then he's saying, I'm trying to help you here. I'm not trying to say marriage is bad, singleness is good. Or, I'm just saying I'm trying to help you. Why? Because in verse 28 he just said, those who marry will face many troubles in this life. That means tribulations, pressures, afflictions. And I would spare you this. 
You know, when you're single, you go where you want, when you want, how you want, stay as long as you want, and nobody yells at you when you get home. I know also that you've all been married so long that it's just a joy. There is no difficulty whatsoever. When you got married, there was no in-law problems. There were no uh, decision-making problems. Finances were a breeze. Right? Are you kidding me? No. In fact, when you look at the things, when, when you wanted to go play golf and they said, we have to decorate for the party, uh... But I had this golf date set up a long time ago. Yeah, but your kid had a birthday longer, so you're going to be home. Okay? So what's happening here is Paul says there's a lot of distractions and troubles associated with being married. And it's just a fact. It's not like an evil fact or a good fact. It's just a fact. And I think for me, I found out costs are multiplied. Schedules are complexified. Time demands are magnified. Emotional distress is intensified. And sometimes I look at singles and I go, you know what, guys? You don't have it all that bad. I told my wife this yesterday. She goes, what? You got to say except for me. And that's probably true, dear. But, but I have to say, singleness is not a curse. Singleness is a joy that God gives some. So he wants to protect, and he wants them to be men of devotion. He wants them to live in the right way, which is of undivided devotion. See that in verse 35? He wants us to be sold out and prioritized for Jesus Christ. This world is passing away, and he's a shepherd, and he wants to see them have every opportunity to serve Christ. And he knows the reality of marriage. If you do marriage right, you must commit yourself to your wife and family. You're not to neglect them. You're not to let them go. I mean, Paul just told us earlier, not neglect your family and your wife, right? So he's not contradicting himself here. It's important. But understand, a single person has less troubles about schedule and in-laws but they can make their own decisions. And when they want to serve Jesus, no one will tell them no. Do you understand that? Good. Let's move on. The content of Paul's commands. I think this is really critical because I think the pivotal part of his commands is found in verses 29 to 31. And let's look at that first because this will explode why he said what he said in all the passages to the singles, to the marrieds, to the engaged, to the, the widowed and widowers. This is the piece that unlocks it. He says, what I mean, brothers, is that time is short. We've just read that before. And sometimes it's easy to understand that the world is passing, or forget that the world is passing away. Eternity is our true reality. You do know that. This world is not it. And Paul says that, so when you bring eternity into your decision-making, some amazing things happen when you keep that in perspective. And Paul says that if eternity is brought to bear on our relationships, we would make different choices. If eternity is brought to bear, we would make different choices on our mourning or our perspective of death. If we put eternity in view, eternity would change our view of happiness. It would change our view of possessions. It would change our view of our use of the world. And those are the five things. So you might ask me today, do I think the Bible is relative today? Are you kidding? Are relationships important to you? Is death important to you? Is happiness important to you? Is possessions important to you? And then what we do in this world, is that important to you? If it is, then Paul's right on target. The Holy Spirit had it right. This is definitely relevant. We need to pay attention. So let's go over them. I want to go over in reverse order because I want to end with relationships. So let's move quick. The first one is time is short. Those who use the things of the world, verse 31, as if not engrossed in them. So do you use the things of the world? Do I use the things of the world? Anybody ever use an ATM? How about a cell phone? How about a microwave? or a refrigerator, a car, have a job. You use the things of the world. Admit it. 
The point is, Paul's saying that's not the problem. The problem is what you're engrossed in. What occupies your mind? What makes you focus on it so much that that's all you talk about? In fact, there's many people that say, well, I live for this, I live for that. Paul says what we should be living for is eternity and for Jesus. And in fact, you can talk with some people and you find out what does occupy their minds. Well, you know it's the 49ers. They know everything about the 49ers. They know who's injured, who's playing, how long it took Brock Purdy to get out of concussion protocol. And that's all they talk about. What are they engrossed in? What are you engrossed in? What occupies your minds? What do you find yourself always talking about? Are they things of heaven and eternity? See, because when there's a Christian presence in something, we should change the conversation and the narrative to be more about heaven than about earth. Because time in this world is passing away. And we should be focusing on what God wants us to focus on. Use the world. That's fine. Just don't get so engrossed in it that's all you talk about and all you think about and all you want. There's more. Two. Verse 30. Those who buy something if it was not theirs to keep. Paul, are you kidding me? I buy something to keep it. I don't buy something to hand it to somebody else. By the way, I just, you know, I bought that brand new stereo or my iPhone 15. Here, it's not mine to keep. Are you kidding? Somebody takes your cell phone, you're going to get pretty ticked. But it says here, we're supposed to buy things as if it's not ours to keep. Why? I, I think... Paul was saying, look, possessions have a tendency to possess you. And the more you own, the more they own you. My dad told me a long time ago, if you buy something, take care of it. Isn't that why they didn't let some kids get pets? If you're not going to take care of it, you can't have a pet. If you're not going to take care of your car, don't buy one. If you're not going to take care of your house, don't let it fall down around the outside of you. So whenever you buy something, they tend to own you time and your attention and your resources. But he says, look, buy stuff as if you're, you know it's going away. And you're not afraid to share it with people. You're not afraid to give it away. Because nobody is going to take anything with them. The pharaohs had it wrong. You take nothing with you. And so Paul's just being clear here. Don't let something own you. Well, the third one. Time is short. Those who are happy as if they were not. Man, I wish I had more time for this one. Our culture is so absorbed with happiness, it makes me sick. It really does. Because everything is about, well, that doesn't make me happy. You know, my husband doesn't make me happy. My wife doesn't make me happy. My job doesn't make me happy. I, I deserve happiness. Anybody heard anybody say, I deserve happiness? I deserve to be happy? Where did that come from? Did God say that? No, God has never said you deserve to be happy. Just trust me, it's not in the Bible. It's not there. In fact, what we've done in our culture of saying, and if I'm not happy, I give myself full permission to do whatever is necessary to reacquire a happiness that I deserve. Oh, I can walk out on my marriage. I can, I can commit adultery. I can uh, take any action I want because I deserve to be happy. Wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Paul is telling us present happiness has never been the goal. If you're not happy, oh, I'm sorry about that. But God says, obey me, and you'll have eternal happiness. Right? And he's trying to spare us. Paul's not saying there isn't, there's any virtue in being sad. That's not what he's pointing out. He's saying don't put your focus on keeping yourself happy. I mean, when you graduated, I hope you graduated from high school or got a GED or something. On that day, you walk across the stage and got your diploma, you were happy, right? But comparatively, when you walk and get graduated from earth to heaven, that day is gonna seem like a speck. 
And you might have looked fondly into your intended's eyes at the altar, lovingly and longingly, hoping it's not sand. And then you look and you say, I, I was so happy that day we got married. What happened? No, but then you say, but compared to that day, when we look into Jesus' eyes, that day will just not even register. It, in fact, it won't matter. So he's saying, look, have your focus on eternity. When eternity has an impact, you won't care about your present happiness. You'll be worried about whether you hear your master say, well done, good and faithful service. That's true happiness. Are you more interested maybe in a bank account on earth than your treasures in heaven? Are you more interested in driving on pavement with your shiny car than getting as many of people you know to walk on streets of gold? Where is your focus? He says, don't put it in happiness. Because I think this is a hard one for a lot of us. Many of you here might be looking at me saying, I'm not connecting with this. Uh, why? Because everything last week that made me happy had something to do with earth. It had to do with my family, my job, my money, my resources, my vacation, my friends. Everything that made me happy was not heaven last week. If that's true, we ha we're on the wrong side of Paul's equation. We don't have happiness like it shouldn't even be happy. These things shouldn't truly make us the happiest. What truly should make you and I the happiest is when we are able to love, serve, and glorify Jesus and promote his glory. And when we get to heaven, we get a well done. That is true happiness. Well, let's move. Time is short. Those who mourn as if they did not. This is one of the greatest things. Paul's not saying don't mourn. Absolutely not. It says we're supposed to weep with those who weep, right? Jesus wept. Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. If we're going to be like our Savior, we'll feel deep grief. But what's the difference? He said when you suffer loss, even a loss of a precious loved one, through tears, we're not to lose hope. We're not going to lose all of our motivation for life. We're not gonna fall apart. Why? Because of our view of eternity, right? Because of 1 Thessalonians 4, it says we're gonna grieve but not like those with no hope. We're gonna grieve because we know there's a better place. There's gonna be a reunion in heaven. There's gonna be a place where everyone who's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will be together with him. There, we're, this isn't the last. The game isn't over. That's why we have hope. That's why we can mourn differently. That's why we can say, mourn as if you did not. Don't be so sad that God took an earthly thing away from you. Earthly things will all pass away. Only the heavenly will last. Well, we're gonna come. We're gonna come here at the end, at the relationships. And I have to say, whether we get married or remain single, Paul immediately tells us there's no sin in either. So I don't want anybody to have guilty looks. If you're already married, you're thinking about marriage, you're not married, wherever you are, guilt is not part of this process. God is saying there's wisdom and there's benefit. There's good and best. Better, best, okay? This is not sin, not sin. This is not what this is about. And he says, from now on, those who have wives, verse 29, should live as if they had none. Woohoo! <laughs> I can do what I want. Show up late. Forget about dinner. I'll go eat out. You may, made it at home, but I'm going to eat, eat over here what I want to eat. No, this is not what he's saying. He's not saying this at all. He's not going to contradict himself about the importance of marriage. Jesus said the marriage of a man and woman is like Christ and the church. If Christ marries us in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb, do you think he's going to throw us out and not be concerned about his bride? You're crazy. We're not to be disregarding of marriage. We're not supposed to disregard our brides or our husbands. That's not what he's saying. So what is living like you had none? Well, it's not pulling your ring off and going to work and pretending to be single. It's not have no regard for your feelings, don't talk to her, sleep in separate bedrooms. None of this stuff is what Paul's acting on. He's not what he means. He says, look, what Jesus said is true. Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not 
hate father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. If we don't hate. Now we know that hate doesn't mean the emotion hate. What it means is in relative terms our emotions for our one another friends and families should be almost like it's down so far below the love of our Savior that it seems like hate. We love God the most. He is our master. He is our king. He is our Lord. Not our spouse. Right? And so he says here I love this. And it says that if you don't do this, it says such a person will be a very wimpy disciple. Is that what your Bible says? What's your Bible say? Cannot be my disciple. If we don't do this, if we don't put God first, we're not even his. That's what it says. So what's he saying now? Marriage or singleness, either one, does not eliminate our obligation to our devotion and obedience and service to our Lord. You might say, well, I got all these family obligations now, so God, I'll fit you in when I can. Who is your Lord? God says, look, there's a way to do this and balance it, but you can't write off as I'm excluded from service to God because I'm married. That's what he said. Well, live with a wife as if she, he wasn't married. The point was is Jesus is still the Lord of that home. It's not you're pleasing your wife. Sometimes to please God, your wife might be unhappy about it. I have to say, my wife is very, very uh, understanding and supportive of me being here as much as I am. But do you think that's her preference? Do you think I sometimes make her sad when I leave her alone? Yes, I do. So is my job to make her happy or serve God? See, I can't ignore her happiness. I'm not trying to make her miserable, but sometimes you have to decide for God. But you gotta balance it because you still have to take care of your family for whoever does not take care of his family is worse than an infidel, right? So God wants us to do both. Well, sometimes some people don't do that, right? They put their family on a shelf or their wife on a shelf and they work so hard for Jesus seven days a week that they never see their family. Is that right? No, it's not right. God does not honor that. In fact, I've seen, I have counseled number of marriages because of that very problem. My husband is overcommitted to Jesus. And I kind of scratch my head. How is that possible? Well, he's never home. He's gone seven days a week serving somewhere at church. Do you, do you, can you see the problem of that? That's not good. That's not healthy. That's why Paul advising singleness. Because when you are married, you do have obligations at home. Don't ignore them. Well, time is short. Eternity is coming. And so now we have to understand now, because of these things, he gives four instructions. And I love it. Our decisions and our work should reflect the priorities of our Lord, even our families. So let's go on. The first instructions he gives in verses 25 to 28. And they went to virgins. Now I have to say, using the term virgin in our culture is like saying pink unicorn. Um, there are not enough of them. There's not enough of them. What Paul was referring to, everybody in his culture that was not married and never been married should be a virgin. In fact, there was a law in the Old Testament to stone anybody who wasn't. So nobody would volunteer that information if that was true. Right? So Paul, when he addresses virgins, he's addressing those who have never been married never been in a relationship because Paul associates please understand this when Paul associates singleness and marriage he is actually also espousing celibacy so it's marriage and celibacy we're not talking about this playboy lifestyle over here in the single world that's not what he means uncommitted no you can sleep with who you want no he's saying it's neither marriage or celibacy that's Paul 
And what he says here to the unengaged virgins, the unmarried or the singles of the team, he says, I have no command of the Lord. And he's not saying God hasn't spoken to me. What he's saying is I'm not quoting Jesus on this specific issue. The Holy Spirit is speaking through me. And this is what he has to say. And I'm going to give you a judgment who is trustworthy. I have a recommendation for you singles. Because of the present crisis, it's good for you to remain as you are. And if you've never been married, you're a virgin, singleness makes the best sense. That's what Paul's saying. He said, if you are, in verse 27, if you are married, don't try to get out of the marriage. Stay married. And, and it says here, it's un, his main point, remember his concern was undivided devotion to Jesus? This is the reason for the recommendation. And he says here, for those who marry will face troubles and be distracted from service to God. I would have it not be that way. So if you can stay single, do stay single. And remember, singleness is a gift of God. God said to Adam, it is not good for man to be what? Alone. Okay, so when can man be alone? When God gifts it to him to do so. Not everybody has that gift. Otherwise, we would burn with passion and not be able to handle it and we would lead ourselves into sin or we would be so bitter about it and so whiny about it and we'd complain. Everybody sees us would know we're complaining about our singleness. Neither one of those is what God has in mind when he says the single who has been given a gift. And so when he says this and looks at this, married will have troubles, single will have undivided focus and the other thing he's saying too here is that uh, whenever you get into a family situation you're not worried about a lot more things you're worried about a lot more things so in a time of crisis it's better that you hold steady and stay as you are he next addresses the marriage situation a little deeper the troubles concerns and distractions associated with marriage in verses 32 34 from a shepherd's concern, he said, look, you guys think this marriage stuff is just all peaches and cream, but I'm telling you, it's not. He was a single man, but God, through the Holy Spirit, has given him insight. And a lot of you marrieds could say, oh yes, it is peaches and cream 24-7. No, it's not. There are disagreements that you wouldn't have with yourself. You've had disagreements you wouldn't have had with yourself. And so it's simple that being married is not holier or being single is not holier, but it sure has practical advantages to be single. Well, I have to also say that it says in verse 33 and 34 that it says the married man is concerned about the affairs of the world, how he can please his wife, his interests are divided. And the unmarried woman is concerned about did you notice it says the Lord's affairs? It doesn't say she's concerned about the Lord. I worry about my relationship with Jesus. No, I'm concerned about what Jesus wants to get done through me. This is what the concern is. And he says, Paul says, look, you're gonna have a logical divide here and I would spare you that because it's true, it's real. See, my schedule uh, can be pulled a number of different ways every week. And I always often think it's so good that God gave some of these people the gift of singleness because I have experience with that. Larry last week mentioned about my divorce that happened over 30 years ago. I thought I married a woman who loved Jesus, but she told me it one day, came into the room and says, I've tried Jesus, he doesn't work, I'm out. I didn't know what to do with that, but what I did do with that is I remained single and I remained committed to reconciliation with my wife for over six years until she remarried. And that reconciliation dream was shattered, but God set me free as a single. I could have remarried, but I had no desire to do so. In fact, I can tell you I've never had more joy and more opportunity to serve than during that season. I, I, I was, it, it was amazing. I look back on it and I go, well, wait a minute. I was leading a small group every week. I was on the worship team. I played bass on the worship team. I taught adult Sunday school. 
Um, I was the Iwana commander. Uh, I ran three miles every other day, served as an elder, and worked full-time at PG&E. I had no guilt going home late. I had great freedom in serving God, and I had great joy. Great joy. I, I never been, I said, where did all that come from? It was a gift from God. A gift of being single and serving. It was wonderful. In fact, I didn't know I was looking for a relationship when my wife says I was. I remember, I mean, we were in San Francisco walking down the street, and she said, I told her, I said, look, I'm not looking for any relationships. And she wisely answered. I said, well, I just, if God wants me to be in a relationship, he's gonna have to let me know. And she goes, and how would he do that? I don't know. (laughs) And she kind of goes. Anyway. All I'm saying is I, at the end of that 10-year season, I was, still wasn't looking for a relationship. I wasn't looking for marriage. I wasn't mind, whining about it. I wasn't missing it. I was having fun, serving Jesus. Well, I just think this is what he wants for us. Well, 36 to 38, he gives instructions to engaged couples and is basically saying, even when you're, you already got the invitation set out, even when there's a cultural bias to make sure this thing goes through and there's going to be shame between families if you break an engagement agreement, what he's saying here is don't keep getting married if you have an ability to stay single. Don't do it. My preference, God's preference, is for you to remain single and committed. I thought that was really interesting because some of us are so uh, infected by how it's going to look to others. He said, that's not the point. The point is, if God's given you the gift to be single, you should stay single. And please know, singles, I really want to reemphasize this. If you were single this morning, I think you were blessed. And I think you have a strategic role in the kingdom of God that cannot be fulfilled by married people. Strategic. God, I think, is going to raise up some single people out of this congregation even who are going to impact this world for Christ like no married person can. Why? Well, we see, we have a lot of examples of of single people who have served Christ faithfully who never married. Uh, People like John Sirkar, our missionary to Bangladesh. I mean, this is a man who's now over 70, never married, but uh, did he do anything? Well, let's see. He, he started two orphanages, uh, planted 17 churches, um, uh, started a seminary, started schools, um, had an impact in his government. D- is God using him? Oh, absolutely. Is he, does he feel empty? Absolutely not. He's got hundreds of children that have come through his orphanage, orphanage that are his kids that he's impacted for Christ. Or how about our dear sister uh, Hazel Howard who's now with the Lord? What an impact for Christ she had in this community and in this church. Why? Because she felt it was better to serve Christ than to pursue a relationship, to serve her family, to serve others. And she had joy doing it. Did she have an impact? Absolutely. Even Virginia Hubbard out here, single. Why? By choice. Because she knows it's delightful to serve Jesus. And nobody's gonna take that away from her, especially not Jesus. Well, it's not a curse to be single. It's a privilege. In fact, I want you to remember something. All the time you see a single person that shows up and there's one extra at the restaurant table. The most significant, the most powerful, the most influential person who's ever walked this earth for the cause of God has been a man named Jesus Christ and he was single. A single man changed our history and our destiny. So singleness is not to be taken lightly. Well, lastly, I want to say this. Widows and widowers, you were given the same instructions. Only death, adultery, or the departure of an unbelieving spouse will free you to remarry. It has to be one of those three. Otherwise, you're not. Just because you're divorced, you're not free to remarry unless it was caused by adultery or the departure of an unbelieving spouse. And then what does he say? And when you do remarry, if you do remarry, if you feel God needs you to remarry, it can only be to a Christian. 
And I give the same advice and singles today. Please, 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 please. No matter how rich, no matter how nice, no matter how beautiful, no matter how wonderful, no matter how kind that person is that you think you want to marry, if they are not a believer, run. Do not do it. You'll only break, bring heartbreak to yourself and inability to serve God. Don't do it. Don't do it. God, if he wants you married, can provide you with a believing spouse. I believe it with all my heart. Well, I'm gonna close with this. He said, while marriage is good, singleness, if God gives you the gift, is better. Anything, I mean, does anybody here argue the fact that married people have more distractions than a single person? Does anybody wanna stand up and defend that one? Okay, so we don't have to hammer that. That's Paul's point. That's God's point. He says, look, this time is short. We have lots to be done. The fields are wide unto harvest. The workers are few. Who's available? Is it gonna be all the married people that are tied down and trying to fit in their soccer schedules? Or is it gonna be those who are single that can go anywhere at any time and serve Christ? This is his point, and this is what I wanna say. We don't wanna minimize married people. You're, we love you. We wanna, we, singles, we love you but we want you to be where God wants you to be because if he's given you the ability to be single, you're gonna be so delighted with what he does with your life. Well, there's only one relationship in this world, by the way, that will ever truly satisfy. I know too many people in my counseling office, my wife doesn't make me happy, I don't feel good, my husband doesn't make me, they're never meant to fulfill you. You will never be fulfilled with a spouse. Whatever problems you had before marriage, you will take right into your marriage and make them worse. They don't solve your problems. They expose your problems. You didn't think you were messy until someone neater walked in. The point is, the only relationship that I want us to have is the one with Jesus Christ as our Savior. That will content that will satisfy. That will never let us down. And that will redeem our souls and let us be in heaven with him forever. Please, please, if you don't know Jesus today, pursue that relationship with all your heart and God will change your life and give you a future serving him and loving him and enjoying him that will just blow away anything this earth could have ever offered. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. May we make the right decision. Father, thank you for this time. And Father, I thank you for the ability to see in your word clear instructions that you would like to help us. And those that have been gifted, Father, may they find great delight and joy in being single. May we as a culture who are primarily married not look down on any of the singles May we invite the singles, include the singles, be with the singles. Help them, Father, to be included as this large family of Christ. That's the family we should focus on, the family of God. So, Father, help us this week. Help us to represent you to a world. May the things that occupy our mind this week be heavenly things rather than earthly things. May the things that provide us pleasure this week be heavenly things and not just earthly things. And we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.